Hey there, it's Bailey Hancock, career happiness strategist, creator of The One Year Career, and your host of The Bailey Hancock Show, a podcast that helps people figure out how to make big career moves with small steps. Navigating your career doesn't have to suck. I'm here to help you learn to love the process. Hey guys, Bailey Hancock here. Welcome back to the podcast. Today we have the multi-passionate and all multi-passionates, Jan McCarthy. Um, Among many other things, she's an artist, creative developer, podcast host, author, and small business coach. Um, And I met Jan through the Boss Ladies community, and as soon as I met her, I was like, whoa, you are who I want to be when I grow up. Because (laughs) Jan does so many things, but none of them are chaotic and haphazard. They all somehow seem to make sense, even when they don't weave together. So I'm, I'm always curious about how Jan goes about her career and her life, which seem to be, from the outside looking in, so woven together nicely that there almost doesn't seem to need to be this need for a work-life balance. So Jan, welcome to the party. I'm so happy to be here. This is fun. Yay. Yay. Um, Yeah. Okay. So I like to start at the beginning. What do you remember did little Jan want to be when she grew up? Okay. A librarian. A librarian. (laughs) to do with... With, um, you know, with what I currently do, I don't think. But I thought it would really be fascinating to be a librarian until I learned what a librarian really does. What did um, you think it was going to be? Oh, I just loved that it would, I would be surrounded by books. And I love books and I love learning and I love um, finding out about everything. I have an uh, insatiable um, uh, appetite for uh, life and and whenever I read, I could hear about all these people who did things and, and went places. And so that's what I thought. I wanted I mean, to be. None of that is a surprise. And you are doing that. You're just not shelving books. But you, <laughs> exactly. you get to still, like, you still very much follow your curiosity and continue to learn and grow and explore and write. And yeah, so you're yeah. right in line. You're living your dream. Yeah, and I think I wanted to be a teacher too because that's what you thought you're supposed to be. And in a way, I am, not in the traditional sense. So, yeah. Yeah, no, you totally are. It's funny when you think about what you wanted to be when you were little because we always think it's a BS question, but usually Mm -hmm. you're kind of doing some of those elements in the job that you choose if you're happy in your job. Yes, yes, that's so true. So what happened after you grew up, say you graduate high school, what was the first move in your career? What was phase one? Well, I, um, I grew up in this entrepreneurial family, and I didn't really think I was going to go along the traditional career path, to be honest. Um, I, my, my dad would come get me out of school to come help run his restaurant or um, things like that a lot of times. And so uh, pursuing that path didn't even seem like something I would ever do, although eventually I did go on to graduate from college. But um, I, I knew about entrepreneurship, and I also kind of quasi-studied to become a dental assistant. So I, I got a, deg- um, a degree in real estate, or I got a certification, whatever you want to call it, and I sold real estate, and then I also worked as a dental assistant. Uh, okay. So kind of <laughs> sure, sure, sure. This makes total sense. <laughs> so from the get-go, you've had a couple different things going on at once. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's, that's what I know. And so um, I, I like the freedom that, uh, that real estate gave you, but it was more of a feast or famine, and it wasn't something I was necessarily passionate about. I really disliked the dental assisting role, although um, 
it was always something I could fall back on, I, I guess, or I, I felt like that. So, um, yeah, I just kind of, you know, I, in a way, I kind of stumbled away. I, I wasn't one of those people who said, this is what I always wanted to be when I grew up. Um, so I just, I, uh, we've talked before and I, I just, you know, you're, you look at what your path is and you look at what your opportunities are and you look at where you want to go and, and you point the arrow and you start moving in that direction and doing whatever you need to do to get there. So, um, by being involved in, or not being so committed to something, it did allow me to travel a little bit. So I traveled a little bit. And um, eventually, I um, met the man that would become my husband, and he lived in a different state than I did. So I was living in Georgia. He lived in Colorado. Uh, we decided to come together and, um, in Colorado. And, and at that time, I did have a job that working for an insurance company that allowed me to travel all over the hmm. United States. And, um, and I really liked the job, but they decided to close their operations in Atlanta and move everything to Miami. Mm -hmm. And I think that was one of the first um, real experiences I had where I realized that I wasn't in control. They were. <laughs> and I didn't want to move to Miami. So um, it, was, it was kind of a big decision time, and I was being offered to go where this guy is that I was madly in love with. And I chose love <laughs> and, and that adventure rather than sticking with a job that could, could dictate whether I worked or I didn't work. And uh, I've never looked back since. So I got involved in, in doing a, a lot of different things in, in Colorado. My husband is an entrepreneur and that's kind of There's all There's two of you. Yeah, yeah. How does um, that that's work? all he had really ever known. So I worked a little bit with him. Um, I went to college, I had two children, and I did some volunteer work, and then I thought, oh, but there's more. There's got to be more. Yeah. So, um, I went to, uh, I, I, we were building a house, and I, I kept trying to figure things out by myself, and um, was just struggling, because it was for me personally, and <clears throat> And this is where I think I learned the value of community. You know, we talk about boss ladies and what a great community that is. And, um, and so I hired an interior designer and I said, I already have everything I need to do to go get all the deals I need to get, but I want somebody I can bounce something off with. And um, so she, she came on board and then she said, um, you didn't need to hire me. Um, you already knew what you wanted to do. And, oh. and so, and I said, but this is so great that I can, I can have someone other than a friend who's just going to say yes to everything. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Hype and girls are important. About afterwards. But <laughs> reality is also very important. Um, you know, it was great for us to share that. And so she became a real mentor and I went to work for her doing interior design and I really loved it. And I loved working with her as a consultant. So when she got too busy, she would call me in and, and I would take on projects all by myself. Unfortunately, she passed away at a very early age. And I continued to do interior design, but I found that uh, it was lonely doing it all by myself now. Oh, and so nice having a partner. I, well, I enjoyed in that particular business. Mm -hmm. It was nice to have a partner to collaborate with. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's always nice to have that community. But I didn't know anyone else, really. I didn't know that many people who were involved in 
in um, entrepreneurship. Mm. And so I got involved. I had about four ideas for new businesses. <laughs> Just four. <laughs> Just That's four. Um, and, uh, and I heard about this group called Ladies Who Launch, which was um, a group of women and you came together and you shared ideas and resources and, and you, you were able to, to speak candidly and gain some clarity. And I thought, wow, this is really cool. And that was in Boulder, Colorado. But at the time I was also coming out to Los Angeles and then I had the opportunity. I thought, wow, that would be really cool. I could meet some awesome women and um, that would be great to get involved with it. And then I had the opportunity to buy the franchise. And, oh, wow. And it opened up a whole new world. Um, and I think, you know, again, we talk about opportunities and you think back to those pivotal moments. Um, I knew that it would be great to attend uh, their meetings. And I heard via the grapevine that it was for sale. And I didn't really know what that would be like, but I immediately said yes. Mm. And one of my favorite quotes is say yes and then figure out how. <laughs> <laughs> so that's sort of what I did. And it just opened up. Um, it was a great platform for building a community and getting to know other amazing uh, entrepreneurial women while pursuing the things that I wanted to pursue and, um, and also start to create my own uh, my own network and my own business, um, helping, uh, people to women to, uh, launch their business and grow their business. So unfortunately the franchise, uh, was closed sooner than I had expected or wanted to, but sometimes, you know, at first I was disappointed and sometimes we think, oh, that door is closing and life is over. But again, opportunities come out of that. And, and I just saw it as an amazing opportunity to continue uh, building communities and doing that kind of thing, but doing it in my own way. And, uh, and that's really how I got involved in being a coach, doing podcasts, um, and, and helping to build this community of women entrepreneurs and helping them to, to do what, what I love doing. That's amazing. So there's a lot in there. Okay. So by the time Ladies Who Launch was shut down, how old are you at this point? Um, uh, let's see. That was eight years ago, maybe. Oh, okay. I, I was in my 50s. Let me so put it that way. You've been doing that for a little while. Yeah, I was, well, I did it for three years. Oh, so okay. I, was in, I was in my 50s um, and probably later, later 50s. I, th I think it's been shut down for like seven, seven years. Okay. Yeah. That's so great to know. You know, it's always funny. There's always iterations of things that have come before, right? I feel like mm -hmm. these communities that to the new entrepreneurial woman who's just joining like the boss ladies community, for example, it's probably like, Oh my gosh, this thing exists. Who knew this is so great. And in reality, there's been versions of this so many times before just maybe called different things, but the core right. of it really is, I think commiseration and support and being mm -hmm. able to share the struggles of what it's actually like to run your own business because you guys, it is hard. It is not easy, yeah. but it is so rewarding. Absolutely. And, and I think that there's been, I, I think what has been such a surprise for women that I've known who got involved in this community is that you know about the men and their networking and, and their collaborations and their sharing of, 
of resources. And I think that, at least from my experience, the women who would come through my programs and I created a mastermind group, which we talked about iterations that masterminds have been around since the 20s. Right. Um, but what they, they found is that, you know, the women aren't competitive. Um, that doesn't mean they're not competitive women, but they're not always so competitive with each other. They're more than willing, and we have seen this over and over again, that they're really willing to reach out and help. And, and women are learning to ask, and they're learning to share, and not be so guarded and protective and secretive and, and, and worried, and really learning how to, I think, overcome some fear. So yeah. it's, been, it's been amazing to, to be a, a participant and also a supporter and also a leader um, in all of that kind of thing. So yeah, to come at it from every angle like that has got to be cool to see the evolution of it. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you mentioned that I was an artist yes. um, and I am, but that, that really came late in life. And, um, I, about six years ago, actually five or six years ago. And, um, I was doing, I was doing, um, like I said, mastermind groups and I decided to, to do something. It's not so different now, but it was different then when I started doing it. I thought, oh, wow, I love going out to dinner. I love going out to dinner with really smart, fabulous women. And I love going out to dinner with smart, fabulous women that also are entrepreneurial and, and, and we can talk shop and we can do all the things that we talked about sharing and everything else. And Over why? Uh, <laughs> yes, over wine too. So I created um, a mastermind creative dinner party, and um, about and that was really fun. And we did it once a month, and I had a couple of different groups. And then I also put on different workshops from time to time. And I always found in these uh, dinner parties that I always like to have an element of creativity in it as well. And <clears throat> also along my path. And this is a, a great lesson in learning to ask. I met this wonderful woman who had an art studio, and <clears throat> we were we were taught we became friends. I I, um, I was asked to speak at a panel that she hosted in the art studio, actually on female entrepreneurship, and so we got to talking. Um, for, I don't know. Sometime afterwards, we became friends. And there was an art piece on, on the wall, and I said how much I really wished I could be an artist, that I'd taken two or three classes, and I was really terrible at it, <laughs> uh, that I just didn't know how to paint a bowl of fruit, no matter how many times they tried to teach. I am with you there. And that, you know, all these people, I just felt so inferior, and but I still really would love to paint and this was an abstract piece and I said I'd give anything if I could paint like that and she said I can make that happen and I said really go on <laughs> so um so she did she brought in this woman um who taught me a lot of the the techniques that I needed to know to be able to create my own abstract pieces and that really launched um me painting and at that point my goal was simply to paint something that I actually would like to hang on my wall. My husband, let's just say he's not necessarily a connoisseur of, <laughs> of, of art or anything. And, 
and would say things like, there's no way I'm paying that much money for it. <laughs> <laughs> he was not impressed. Paint on it on, on, on my walls. So I painted a couple of pieces that I really, really love. And uh, I felt confident that I could, I could put them on my walls. And I felt like, okay, I'm a, I, I can paint now. So um, after two or three lessons, and again, these are techniques, not that she taught me how to, how to create or, or think in that abstract way, but um, just taught me some techniques of like layering and, and mm. mixing paints and things like that. And, um, and so I live in a, an apartment building um, where it was condos and I'm a social director for my building and we create a lot of social events. I do, um, from wine club to yeah. loft tours to <laughs> parties and things like that. And I had a party in my loft, and a couple of people mentioned something about from my building that they liked my art. And I said, oh, wow. Um, or they asked who painted it. Maybe it was something along those lines. <laughs> like, it was me. It was me. I did it. It was me. <laughs> That's um, got to feel so good the first time. It felt time really it good. It felt really good. And they said, well... Uh, they they were in a position of influence and they had a store um, in our building, a retail store, and they said, oh, we'd like to do an art show for you. Oh my gosh. And I said, really? <laughs> what does that, what does that mean? And he said, well, bring some paintings down and, 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 you know, invite some friends and we'll invite some friends and, and we'll see what happens. So this is where your community comes in handy. And I talked to a couple of artist friends that I knew and I'm like, what should I do? What should I do? Um, and so they guided me to, you know, get a collection together and, and, um, and then present it. And, um, so I did, and I invited a bunch of friends and I think I had, um, like 22 pieces and wow. I sold 16 wow. out, of, out of that. And they, they were priced enough that I, I think I felt like I had, I had arrived. Oh. <laughs> So I want to pause there for a second because, you know, one of the main goals of this podcast is to talk about making big moves with small steps. And most of the time, I think the move is established or it's identified before you make it, right? So you set out to do something. But for you, mm -hmm. I feel like art and being an artist and feeling confident enough to call yourself an artist was something that was in the back of your mind, but you didn't set up one day and say, I'm going to pursue being an artist today, but you little by little did, you know, in terms of the, what did you need to do, learn and connect, um, in order to make that move, you started with learning, you started with techniques because obviously you're a creative person by nature. So I'm sure all of this, you know, content and beautiful work was inside of you. You just literally didn't have the tools you needed to take it out of your brain. And exactly. And then the connect piece, you had a good network because you put in the work, you know, you don't just build a network overnight. You guys like it's something you do all your life, right? It's connections. Mm -hmm. It's making friendship. It's, it's just nurturing relationships, whether they're your close friends or your neighbors. And so you were able to leverage those relationships to actually get your art hung up in a store where strangers could potentially come and purchase it. So how long from when that friend who got you the lesson how long was it from that first lesson to when you had that showing? Do you remember? Uh, it was probably less than a year. Wow. That's amazing. That's so yeah. cool. You went from feeling like you couldn't paint a bowl of fruit 
to selling 16 pieces in a retail space and a little gallery showing. That's awesome. That's so cool. Yeah, it was, it was really wonderful. And so then it was, it was kind of like where you had to make a decision. Like, um, is this something that I want to pursue as a full-time artist or is this something that um, I'm really setting out to do? And then I would have um, people, I had a, a few people ask if they could commission a piece. And, and again, you have to, it's, it's easy to say no. It's scary to say yes, but you can also, you can also put things into, into place um, where you can, um, you can, um, I guess, allow yourself to fail um, mm. and it's okay. So even with the pieces that, that were commissioned, I put a caveat in there that, okay, I will do this and I, I will definitely do it to the best of my ability with the promise that if you don't like it, you will say so. And I can, I can change it or you can cancel your order because I will paint something based on what I think you want, but it's coming from me. So if I paint it, I'm going to love it. So it's okay. I will keep it myself. Or yeah, you're, it's not going to go to waste. Right. And, and that was nice to have that kind of freedom. Um, and I think it made them feel more comfortable too, so that they didn't feel like, oh my gosh, I just, I, I have to pay for this. Right. We're and a guinea so pig. <laughs> that was nice too. And then um, an interesting thing, I just kept wanting to include some of these art things. So, so then um, a couple of people would say, well, I want to paint with you. And, mm -hmm. and so I'm, I think, you know, it's always fun. It, things have to be fun for me to participate in them and or think that that's I what I like about your decision making process Jan doesn't do it unless it's going to be fun <laughs> and why <laughs> the hell would you live your life any other way right or you're not going are you going to that's love it because yeah. you know life is too short for all of that so Ugh, so this friend and I um <laughs> I don't know if I should be putting those out there but this friend and I were painting and I wasn't really into Instagram or anything like that but um she took a couple of of photos and posted them like Jan and I painting. And so then I get a phone call and this woman um, on the other end, she said, I got your name. Um, so you teach art, right? And <laughs> I said, uh, yes. <laughs> sure. Of course I do. Of course I do. And she worked for a very large corporation. Um, and they, uh, they had all these executives from all over the world come and uh, come together and meet over a weekend and take classes and be inspired by each other and, and do everything that we're, we're talking about. And this is men and women from very high up kind of corporations. And she said, and then we also, so they come and do this. And then one of the things that we like to do is we have these different classes or things that they can do as just kind of a, a way for them to get to know each other better and enjoy. So think about um, for anybody who's familiar, like, you know, those big sales meetings where the top sales people get to go, but it's that, so that kind of thing. And then they have all these activities. So some of the activities they had was um, Navy SEAL training, uh, cigarette boat racing, <laughs> martini making. Ooh. And they said, we would like you to do an art class um, paired with wine and, um, and, and so we would like you to present something to us about how you would lead this art class. Well, I've been to a lot of paint and sip classes and I really <laughs> don't 
it's not my thing. Yeah. Um, wherever you, well, first of all, well, I'm gathering, it. you don't like being told what to paint. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, you know, it's that thing where I, I just felt like by the end of the day, you walk out and you throw away what, yeah. at least whatever I had painted. And so I wanted anybody who painted to love what they did. Mm-hmm. And, and then, so, um, so I developed a whole program around this. And they actually said, we don't really care whether they like the painting or not. That's not what it's about. It's really what, what our goal is. And that's what important. You had to find out what the goal is. Their goal was that these people would communicate. Mm. Guaranteed 30 people. And, um, and then uh, I needed to, so I went and I did a presentation. They told me things they liked and a couple of they didn't. And I adjusted. I pivoted to, to gear more towards what they were looking for. And then I did the class. And it was, um, it was awesome. But uh, like anything, you go in and you think it's going to be one thing and then maybe something happens and you've got to overcome those obstacles. So it was outside. Uh I wasn't anticipating that I was going to teach something outside. And then the other thing that they had told me is that it needed to be a competition. What? Um, yeah. <laughs> a painting competition? A painting competition because well, these were- sucks the fun right out of it. <laughs> and, and, and so I had to come up with a really clever way to create this competition where it was a friendly competition and it wasn't me judging them. It was them judging each other. Um, so I created something, I gave them little gold coins, like, um, you know, those chocolate chocolates in it. And, um, and then they had to vote on each other's paintings based on how well they followed the rules (laughs) or not how, how well they actually stepped outside their box, uh, what they named their painting and, um, and, and I can't remember, but there was something else. Um, so they, they each got three coins, and they could put all three coins up for one person or dis- disperse them. So it created a really fun environment. I like and, that. Uh, and I created a prize for them that they all contributed to, that one person won. And, and then they also each created their own art piece, which was an abstract art piece, and each of their pieces were different. And mm. they all seemed to really love it. And, and, of course, I think art is so important for all of us because it gets you out of your comfort zone. It helps you to really tap into your creativity. It, um, it, some people might think it's stressful, but if you do it in the right circumstances, it's not at all. And it's great at problem solving. It's great at relieving stress. I mean, we know how great it is to doodle or color in a coloring book or doing things like that. And if you can teach people to not be so attached to an outcome, Hmm. and help to make it personal, um, then it, it's really great. So it's kind of a beautiful metal metaphor for your career in a sense, mm-hmm. you know, cause yeah. like the finished piece, when you're done with it, it almost kind of doesn't matter, right? The fun's over at that point, you got to start doing a new piece. Yeah. But you can still love it. You can love yeah. what you've done and, and learn from it. Uh, so I started incorporating different, uh, from time to time, different kind of artistic, creative things. I put on a retreat um, called Women, Wine, and the Wildebeest um, <laughs> up in Northern California. It. <laughs> and it was all based, it was all creative stuff, but it came from a place of, so I love that here I am working with all of these entrepreneurial women, but we're creating things all along. So whether it was like a picture of an animal and then I had people color on top of it, creating, writing their power words and thinking mm-hmm. of themselves as the power animal. Or creating, um, we made bracelets that had colors, and I wanted the colors to reflect um, the colors that were part of their brand. 
And we talked about color and how important that was. And so all of the activities had to do with entrepreneurship, but they also had to do with some sort of artistic, creative expression. I love that. In your bio, you talk about, you know, how you believe art and business go hand in hand and how you try and pair them together. And I mean, it sounds like you really landed on something that allows you to do exactly that. Well, that's what I'm loving doing. And I'm continuing to doing that and and exploring now, exploring new things with art. Um, So not focusing so much on the mastermind dinner parties anymore, um, at least right now. But I've I've, uh, published two books. Um, that are called a month on the run and they're based on the fact that I travel a lot and I don't have room for a great big book so I use my month on the run um, notebook it's just a notebook about the size of a moleskin um, and write stuff in it and for years I've written my own quotes and inspirational things and just take notes it's kind of like a diary a journal a planner of everything I'd paste um, calendar of the month monthly calendar in there and uh, just all that kind of stuff and and I thought well this really works for me so maybe it work for someone else and it might even sketch or whatever so created these two books and they're uh, they're based on a monthly book that by itself it could just be a inspirational kind of thing um, but it's also got some paper for you to write notes every single day or put your to-do list, whatever it is you want to do. And a lot of the pages incorporate quotes that have um, made me think, or they'll incorporate graphics that include my art. And uh, so that's fun. So again, that's bringing my art into it. And um, I'm looking at doing some clothes with my art on it. And um, like there's just all kinds of developments and you just have to be open and look, look for opportunities that may not seem so obvious at first. Um, Whether it's reaching out and collaborating, like someone's doing a workshop, maybe they haven't thought about that artistic component. Right. Uh, So those are opportunities. And, and I think you have to ask, you have to explain and share and, and, and look for, look for the opportunities. There's a quote that says the harder you work, the luckier you get. It's super true. It is. Super and, true. uh, and, and I don't think of what I do as work to be honest, but, uh, but it's true. When you get out there and you're sharing the message and you're, um, looking at like ways that you can contribute or what could possibly become, then the possibilities are endless. And I you know, think that's where people get stuck. And I think you've been, you've been really good at making yourself known as somebody willing to try things and collaborate. And despite the fact that you do have a lot of interests, it's, it's funny because that's the thing people bring up a lot about being a multi-passionate is, and this is part of the advice I give is, you know, you do have to kind of put yourself out there in a way that new people are going to be able to categorize who you are in their minds, right? Because when people first meet you, they want to, they want to categorize you to some extent, like, oh, she's a this, she's a that. Um, and when you're multi-passionate, it can feel really frustrating because when you have a lot of things to describe yourself as, you can end up in the miscellaneous bin in people's minds. However, I think even approaching an introduction as I'm an artist and business coach, I'm a multi-passionate who's always open for collaboration, which you, you exude that. I think that allows people to, even if they don't remember the specifics of what you do, they can say, oh, there's a creative project. I, I know a woman that would totally 
be able to plug into this. I don't know how, but I guarantee you she could plug in in two different ways. It's Jan, you know? So I think you've been a really good role model for being able to embrace that multi-passionate tendency while still being somebody that's understood and easily cataloged for new people to meet them. Well, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So I want to go back to something too, because you've been really good at following your curiosity, seeing those open possibilities and taking them. How do you keep from, I like to say, chasing the bumblebee of your curiosity? How do you keep from going down too many different paths and never fully, um, not fully, but never doubling down on something and really seeing something through before moving on to something else? Do you have a framework you use or an internal checklist or a gut check that allows you to decide like, okay, this sounds interesting, but is it going to distract me from this other thing? Or how do you handle that? Well, that's something that you do have to keep asking yourself. And um, I do, I did do one third book. Uh, it's called The Yearbook. And it's, uh, it's set up so that I'm able to take a look back at what I did the year before sit down and really think about what my goals are for the future and then stay accountable every month in that way um, by reiterating what those goals are and what are the steps to uh, necessary to get there. And then um, at the end of the year, uh, not only recount what you've done, um, but also to, also to uh, help you plan for the following year. And I do have a million things on my plate. And this year was a real prime example of saying, okay, if I continue to do uh, all of these things that I've been doing in the past, um, then I'm going to really not be able to grow that much in the future. So right. I mentioned I have two books uh, because these are monthly books. There's 30, uh, there's 31 days and in, in basically in a month. I mean, obviously some more or less, but um, I, each book is 31 pages plus a few extra pages for other things. Um, then I, I would really ideally like to have this be a series of 12 books so that you can have a different book every single month. So I put that in my, in my yearbook and I wrote down like, what are the steps that I need to do this? Like if I do a book every month, would that, could I do that? Is that possible? Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one way I do it. I look at what these goals are. Um, I always shoot for the moon, um, try and get as many things <laughs> done as I can. Uh, we really are quite capable of doing a lot if we organize it appropriately. And, you know, you talked about um, the baby steps. And, and if I might mention, last year, for a variety of reasons, um, I decided I was going to walk a thousand miles. And I think you might even know this story. I can't remember. But I decided I was going to walk a thousand miles. And at first that's like, oh my gosh, that's crazy. I mean, a thousand miles, that's well that's actually like a lot. It. It's like from from Los Angeles to Boulder, you know? Oh my gosh. Um, how perfect. <laughs> I know, right? And so, um, but I thought, well, how can I do that? And I so I looked at it, I divided it. Um the number of days because I didn't actually make that decision until January 28th and I decided oh I have to walk three miles a day to accomplish that goal mm -hmm. so that's a baby that's a baby step and then um, that would have that would net me a 1022 miles by the end of the year and so then I made a decision right then okay three miles a day um, it's specific now I might walk more than that 
but if this is all possible, I'm going to go ahead and walk my three miles. It takes me about an hour. And so you do it all together. You're not counting your steps throughout the day, like with a Fitbit or something. No, I mean, if for some reason I wasn't able to make it to that, like I try and walk first thing in the morning and do my three miles. Um, so, but yeah, if I haven't walked three miles by the end of the day, I'll go walk somewhere to make sure I, I get that. Right. And what's important to know about that and doing it every day, because this is such a life lesson and entrepreneurs can really benefit from this, is that if I don't walk three miles today, it would be really easy to justify um, well, I, I'll just do it tomorrow. Or yeah. let's say, for example, I walk six miles today or eight miles today. I could say, oh, I don't have to walk tomorrow because oh, I already walked those three miles. And that was important distinction to make with myself um, and commitment to make with myself not to rely on that or justify that the three miles had to be three miles specific and anything else was just gravy. So um, and if like I said, if I didn't do it, I mean, it could end up at the end of the week that now I needed to walk 12 miles or 15 miles or whatever. Well, that's pretty impossible to that do. feels Even insurmountable. Yeah. Right. So if we do break it down, and, and that's the way I think I lead my life, is I break those things down in little steps. And, and a lot of times it looks helter-skelter. Like I might work on six paintings a day, or not a day, but I might work on six paintings at one time or something. And it's organized in its own fashion so um but i think that's the philosophy that i use is try and break things down and that way i can accomplish them i mean i live and die by the how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time motto because yeah. it's true you can't swallow it whole and that's such a good analogy the whole if you don't walk three days in a row well shit now you've got 12 miles to walk on top of your three for that day you're at 15 miles which is way harder to do going to take way longer than if you just split it up into tiny manageable chunks every single day. Such a good lesson. And that's truly the point of the one-year career, make big moves with small steps. It's like, no, you don't change your career in a couple weeks. You don't totally switch industries. You don't get a whole promotion after like a couple of days of working hard. It is a long game and it's a totally manageable thing if you just break it up a little bit. Yeah. So if I, if I'm applying, if I pick, you know, a few things that I want to accomplish um, and I break them down like that, then, then chances are I'll probably accomplish all of them by the end of the year. Yeah. It's pretty crazy. One of the things I really liked about the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss was, you know, he has you list out what are these big goals that you've always wanted to accomplish? What's one small step you can take today to get there? And he's like, and what's one small step you can take the next day. And then the next day after that, as soon as you're done reading this page, go do those, that small step for today. And it's like, oh God, no, no, I'm not quite ready. Yet. Oh, I, I need more time. And it's like, you probably don't. And you probably never need as much time to accomplish something as you think you do at the onset. And, but it's not until you start chipping away at it that you realize like, oh damn, I've accomplished my 2018 goal and it's only March, you know? <laughs> and then the fun thing is you get to set new goals. It's never, I get asked that a lot in my workshops that I teach. Well, I turned, you know, I had this goal for myself to be a whatever VP of whatever by a certain age and I hit it. And now what? I don't know what to do. And I'm like, uh, you set a new goal. Congratulations. <laughs> You've just leveled up. You get to moving to a whole new, you know, level now. And so, yeah, that's, it's fantastic. It makes sense that you have a method to your madness. We all do. But from the outside looking in, I think entrepreneurs and artists specifically 
get a bad rap for being flaky and bouncing around and flighty and all of those, you know, innocuous words that are actually pretty hurtful to people who get called them. Um, so for you, tell me more about the inner workings of how you do organize your various things, um, whether it's your business coaching or your podcast or writing, like all of your different things. How do you organize your day? Do you split it up to work on one thing at a time? Do you just allow whatever needs attention to get attention? How do you do it? I think, um, well, I, I'm repeating the thousand mile thing. So I definitely try and start with doing three miles a day. Um, I keep thinking I'm going to try and organize things, um, but other things come up. So, and I'm, I'm very spontaneous. And if someone wanted to go to lunch or someone wanted me to travel somewhere, uh, I, I, I try not to be so rigid or inflexible that I can't do all of those things. Yeah. So, so I don't sit down and say, okay, I'm going to work on my books this much every day, but I might set a goal of that. I want to do one book in the next month. And what does it, what does it take for me to do that? Um, but I really, I probably fly more by the seat of my pants. Um, if someone commissioned me to do a painting, then obviously my focus would go on that painting. Um, if someone wanted me to uh, do a workshop, then I'm going to focus on that workshop. Or if I decide I'm going to do a workshop, or I decide sometimes I, I, it's almost like addiction. I'll have an idea for a painting, I'll wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I'll go, oh my gosh, I just have to paint that. And I can't wait to get over to my studio. And as long, I might even go before I do my walk and, and say, okay, well, I'm going to do my walk at four o'clock and I'll stop at four. So I do set deadlines and, and schedules for myself, but they're not, they're not strict and they're always, uh, they're flexible always. And I always sustainable. Yeah, and I always get done what I need to get done. I mean, I know what I need to get done, you know. So it's kind of like, even though my husband does all the taxes, but it's kind of like the taxes. You know, you've got to have it by the, by the 15th right. or quarterly or whatever, oh, right? God. Yeah, so, <laughs> whether you're like, doing it the day before or three months right. before. College or high school or whatever it was when you had to stay up all night. I mean, I do what I have to do to get done what I need to get done. Um, if you figure out you're not making any money. Okay. Well, maybe I better sit down and figure out what, what needs to be done in this arena. Um, you know, it's just, it's flexible. Yeah. Well, that actually leads into my next question because I think people that have a lot of entrepreneurial pursuits or a lot of interests and a lot of passions, the flaky title gets thrown on us a lot, which it hurts guys. Don't call people flaky because they have a lot of <laughs> passions and interests. It's not nice. Um, there is a method to the madness, but for those people, I think the monetizing of their passions or of their interests is a piece that often gets in the way or it confuses them or it, it stresses them out. So how have you been able to both monetize and recognize when a pursuit of yours maybe is more meant for a hobby and that's okay? How do you, I guess the question is like, how have you leveraged being a multi-passionate into still being able to live and pay your bills and do things that are fun for you? How have you made that work? Well, I think because what I do is fun, always. Everything I do, I absolutely love doing. And, and I'm, so I follow the, the passion or the happiness or the, the fun meter um, kind of thing. Um, but it also, 
if there's also, I guess, something in me that if I'm just doing this and it's not really netting some sort of financial gain, then, um, then what I have to really step back and say, what am I doing this for? And not that I'm doing it for money, but if, if I'm just spending money on it constantly, um, what, what does that measure where I measure that it is making me happy or it is fun or um, I don't want to just end up with a room full of paintings. Right. So um, as much as I love them, there's only so many, there's only so many walls mm -hmm. you know, that I can hang my own paintings on. So, um, so I have to, you know, I guess I think about, uh, that's how I think about it. And, and, and if I'm starting to build up a huge inventory, then, then it's kind of like, okay, so let's stop creating more inventory and let's figure out a way that we can move these. Got um, it. And then that becomes my focus of, of how do we move these. So, Makes sense. So is art your primary revenue stream right now? Because that's really cool if that's the case. <laughs> For somebody that wasn't, didn't fancy herself an artist, you know, not that I long know, ago. Right? Um, I just, I never, I never ever expected that I'd ever make a dime. Um, it is because I put, um, I put most of my coaching and most of my, um, uh, I put my dinner parties on hold, as I mentioned, and, um, and scaled back with uh, workshops that I may have planned. Uh, I may I may do a retreat or two this year, um, but that's yet to be determined. It needs to be the right retreat, and uh, so that might you know if that happens to come about, then I'm all all about it. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not going to worry about it. So yes, doing doing the art is is going to be more of my focus for my main. Uh, revenue stream, wanting to do some online classes and things like that, uh, do more workshops with people. So, yeah. Is there anything that you like art a few years ago that's on your list that you haven't gotten to yet? Oh, gosh. Um, well, uh, the clothing line is on the, on the list. Um, doing more uh, licensing. Um, doing, yeah, doing more licensing, uh, with products. Um, so there's a few different products, uh, that, that I would love to get my art on and, and have that licensed out. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, it, it, yeah, it doesn't seem like you save a lot for later. I try and do it all as soon as I can. Life is short. And, and, and here's the thing is that there's always so many fresh ideas. Yeah. Um, and some have gone by the wayside. Yes, I've got products that are sitting there that they, um, they just, they don't demand my time and attention right now. And I don't know that it's the best use of my time. And I, I haven't sat down and done business plans for any of this. Um, I don't know that that would really be helpful in my case. Um, especially since I hate doing them so much. Anyway. <laughs> he doesn't pass I, the fun meter. <laughs> no, even though I used to teach entrepreneurship and, and my students would, they would, they worked in groups, but I would have probably around 10 to 15 business plans, 90 page business plans that I had to read at the end of the. <laughs> You're probably kicking yourself for giving that assignment. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was like the main assignment, but it was hard. It was, yeah. And I really wanted to say, oh, 
for the most part. Through the business plan. You should have done an art project with the pages of the business plan. <laughs> yeah. Paint all over them. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is amazing. Do you have any, any final words or anything that you would have potentially wanted to have told, you know, 20 something Jan at the beginning of your career? Uh, yeah. I mean, yes and no. I, I think if I had told Jan at the beginning, back in the beginning, yes, go for it. Be, be an artist if that's what you want to be. Um, I wouldn't have necessarily been ready for the information. So if you go back and you give yourself all of this different advice, I think I do believe that things kind of happen in a time and a place. And, and as long as you keep your eyes open and you continually pursue things that you're interested in um, and everything. So I, I think I would just say, keep doing it. Yeah. I think that's fantastic advice. And I totally, I totally am buying what you're selling. Like, your journey would have been completely different had you started with art first and probably wouldn't have had the depth and, you know, the knowledge that you've brought to it. And I think you're a great lesson and it's never too late to pursue something that you're excited about. That's such a bullshit excuse anyway. Oh, it's too late to switch gears. I'm already too far down. They are 20 something year old saying it's too late because they've already <laughs> put like three years of work into a particular job. And I'm like, oh, Oh, sweetheart, <laughs> you yeah. know, at the, at the wise age of 33 over here, I'm on the other side of the hump from the 20 something phase. And I can't wait to be in my fifties and sixties and think that me of today is a total moron. So yeah. No, I don't think you'll ever think of yourself as a total moron. You know, it's, it's, that's not what it's about. You know, I think we're just all on a journey and it was a different chapter and, and there were amazing things and that happened. And, and I think all of those things prepare you for when you get to to the place where I'm at, you know, yeah. all of those things prepared me. And maybe I wouldn't have, maybe if I had just been kind of great out of the gate or people had liked what I did art wise, I would have never felt that I could pursue what I pursued. So, you know, it might've, might've put me in a little category. So yeah, no, it's all, I think it's all good. And that's what people need to recognize. And it's all good. And everything is, everything is a lesson. It doesn't always turn out beautifully. No, I've had plenty of things that I've abandoned and, and said, okay, well, that wasn't really worth it. Uh, I, or it's no longer worth it. I mean, cause you know, that just happens, but um, I'm not sorry for any of it. I'm, I'm thrilled that I've had the opportunities that I've had and and um, and done all the things that I've done, including dental assisting. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's a great a two truths and a lie thing you can throw in there, you know? Yeah. Like, hey, <laughs> fun fact about Jan. I used to clean teeth. Who knew? <laughs> Let's not remember that one, okay? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll glaze over that one. Well, Jan, yeah. thank you so much. As Jan says, it's all good, guys. Just enjoy yourself. <laughs> enjoy the ride. Nothing's a failure. It's all data points, and it all adds up to the career story of you. So thank you for being here, Jan. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much.